Hey there, the name's Nick Brownlee and this is the Cumbria Business Podcast, baby. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on. Yeah, a bit of old blue eyes to start this week's show. Frank Sinatra, come fly with me. Just one question though, Frank. Exactly when can we fly and where? Yes, this week we've heard a lot about roadmaps leading us to the promised land of pubs, restaurants, hairdressers and nail bars. But when it comes to what most of us really want, i.e. jetting off for two weeks in the sun to forget about the last 12 miserable months, the road hits a brick wall. The prospect of freedom on June the 21st has sparked a rush to book holidays in places like Greece and Mallorca, but with the dangers of importing further Covid variants hanging over foreign travel, is it a case of wishful thinking? Should we be resigning ourselves to a fortnight in Silleth this summer instead? To answer this and many other questions besides, I'm joined this week by one of Cumbria's foremost travel experts. Jane Sedgwick has been making dream holidays come true for more than 30 years. But after a year in which the travel industry has been brought to its knees by the COVID pandemic, if anyone needs a holiday, it's her. So unpack your speedos, pour yourself a glass of sangria, and enjoy this week's episode of the Cumbria Business Podcast. Jane Sedgwick, welcome to the Cumbria Business Podcast. Thank you. Uh, now, you've spent more than 30 years in the travel industry, but before we talk about what, what you're up to now, let's take a journey of our own back through time to when you first started out. I'm presuming, was that sort of late 1980s? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I started in, uh, thinking back, 1988, and it was actually just going to be for one winter season whilst I found my uh, job of choice. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 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 one winter season in the French Alps led into a summer season in the Austrian Alps and lakes and mountains. Right. And I've never looked back. Uh, spent time from then, well, winters were in the French Alps, summers were in Austria. Uh, spent 10 years overseas altogether, mm-hmm. uh, moving around every six months. And the latter half of that was spent in the uh, beautiful resort of Vale, Colorado in North America, where I uh, had the glorious title of operations manager for North America and Canada for <laughs> a, big, uh, a big ski company. Did you have a gold yeah. business card with that inscribed upon it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I would have needed quite a big one, wouldn't I? Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's worth having. So, I mean, was, uh, was travel always in your blood or was it something which just happened? It just happened. I, I could speak languages. I had a I, I had a degree from Bristol Polytechnic as was uh, in German and French and information systems marketing that kind of thing. And I actually knew that I wanted to use my languages, but I wanted to travel overseas, but not to be permanently based overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went for my interviews with um, Rank Xerox and such companies, uh, didn't get anywhere. I just thought, well, I'll go and do one winter season, then I'll come back and I'll look again. Uh, but that never happened. And, and, and what sort of holidays were you? T- did you take when you were younger? I mean, were you, did you go abroad or were you sort of... What? Yeah, I was really lucky in that uh, my first holiday abroad with my family um, was to um, 
little place called Lido di Gesolo near Venice when oh, I was only uh, four. So yeah, <laughs> I I kind of I was brought up with you know one of the lucky ones in that we went overseas every year for our summer holiday and then occasionally we would have city breaks as well so yeah i suppose i, I was brought up with travel and what was the uh, the best place that you went to when when you were younger can you remember oh um best place when i was younger we went four consecutive times to the island of menorca in the Balearics, which was lovely you know for for a child to have that beach there which is beautiful, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I'm going to ask you the worst place. <laughs> the worst place as a child was probably a jeet, uh, a cottage <laughs> that my parents uh, booked in the Pyrenees, in the French Pyrenees, yeah. and it was dark and dank. And um, my, my parents loved it because there were squirrels in the garden outside that actually came into the house <laughs> and started ferreting through my my bag that I had next to the bed, which had some sweets or something. Oh, right. so, so you attacked so by was, squirrels. That was my worst, worst one that I remember. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm kind of the same vintage as you, and I'm trying to think back to what the holiday scene was back in in those days. I mean, I guess we're talking 70s, 80s. Um, I, I, as yeah, I recall, I, I, I didn't I, go on a holiday really until I got a cheap flight with my dad going to Ibiza, and that was that was the height of sophistication in those days. Yeah, I mean, I think I think really the the, the package holiday as mm. it was then was really just starting to take off. Um, you know, particularly when we went as a family, and then all, also, you know, obviously when I started repping um, in the late eighties, that was at its heyday, really. Mm. Uh, so being a rep overseas, you know, there was some good money to be had then. Yeah, and what and you mentioned that when you first started off, you were involved in the skiing scene. I mean, was that yeah. was that sort of beginning to start up, or or was it kind of beginning in in the swing of things by then? It was. It, I suppose it was in the swing of things. Um, I started out in the French Alps. I mean, I'd, I'd been looking. I ski. I had skied as a as a kind of a a teen onwards. Um, so, so you know, I didn't go into the ski seasons repping, mm. not knowing how to ski. I don't think that would have been too much fun. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was it was very busy in the in the late late eighties, going into the nineties, really yeah. busy. Um, you describe yourself now as a personal travel concierge. Um, yes. What does that mean? It basically means that I create bespoke itineraries for people. If, if they want it to be that bespoke. But equally, I can also um, just, just get an off-the-shelf package holiday if that's what my customers want. But essentially, I tailor all of my uh, offerings to my clients for, for whatever they're looking for. Is that something which, which you've kind of developed yourself over the years? Or I mean, did you start off working as a traditional travel agent in a shop behind a desk? No, <laughs> no, I've never, I've never had that, that kind of salesy background, mm. really. I, um, when I kind of moved back from being overseas, I then started working in mainstream tour operators. So I have worked in a range of uh, types of, of uh, tour operators. So educational travel, I've worked for a tour wholesaler, I've worked for a coach tour company, I've worked for an adventure holiday company. Um, and then it was one redundancy too many that actually made me think, okay, I'm going to start up on, on my own now. Right. And have you always been based on your own up in Cumbria or have you, were you elsewhere before that? Uh, no, I was I was elsewhere. I uh, 
I was born in, in Cumbria, in Kendal, mm-hmm. um, but then I moved back up to the area in oh, probably 12 years ago now. Yeah. Yep. And so what, what brought you back? Now. Um, the fact that I had been living down in Leicestershire, which is um, uh, too flat for my liking. There aren't <laughs> many hills down there. No. Um, and I knew that I wanted to come back to, to be near the lakes yeah. eventually. Yeah. And, and you're now uh, part of the, the Travel Counselors Organisation. Tell us a little bit about that. That's right, yeah. So Travel Counselors, um, well, w- we had our 25th uh, anniversary mm-hmm. uh, two years ago. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a company that's been, um, around for, for quite some time now, but it's a really progressive company as well and is completely situ- uh, suited to working from home because whilst it was new for a lot of folk this time last year, when COVID hit, mm. it's a model that, that, that we've been working with, um, you know, for a long time now. Right. So, so that in, in, in essence didn't bring any changes for me. So people contact you I, know, I noticed on the website you can pick a pick an advisor or um and and one maybe who, who lives near you or one who uh, is a specialist in an area that particularly you might want to go to is that is that how it works yeah i mean I, obviously i've got my own clients here now in the area but if somebody was looking on the travel council website um if they put in their postcode it would come up with a number of travel counselors you know, in their area, mm-hmm. uh, within a, a kind of a, 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 a sort of a, a, a parameter of, of, of distance, if you like. Um, so, if if somebody was looking specifically for me, if they knew of me already, they could just put my my details, and it would it would bring up my web page. Right. And what sort of holidays are you organising for people? I mean, you, you say you, you you're a bespoke holiday organiser. Mm. What are what are people looking for these days? Um, you, no longer pack, package holidays, I expect. Well, there are there are some that still want the the traditional package holiday but more and more people are wanting experiential type holidays mm-hmm. they're not wanting to lie on a beach all day long anymore they're, they're wanting to get out and about and explore the local community yeah. they're wanting more active holidays particularly after the last 12 months mm. where, yeah. where they've been cooped up for a long time so what what sort um, of places are they looking to go to and what kind of things are they hoping to to do um I think walking holidays are, are kind of becoming in vogue now. Um, safari type experiences. Uh, I've had people do a bespoke trip of um, Argentina down to the southern tip, down to Patagonia. Mm. I've had people do the Rocky Mountaineer train across Canada. Um, I've had people go out to Australia and visit family, but also combine that with a road trip that I've put together for them. Yeah. That so fantastic. every single inquiry that I get is is different, you know, from one to the other. Are you are you finding that people are as maybe people who are, have retired from work are thinking, do you know what? I'm not going to save the pension. I'm not going to save my savings for the kids. I'm going to blow it all on on going across <laughs> the the Rockies in a, on a train. Yeah, I think I think people get to that stage, and particularly now, I think um, you know the, the the trend I'm seeing is that you know, not this year necessarily, but certainly next year they're wanting to do something a bit more special mm. and, uh, you know, spend a little bit more on it. Yeah. And what about, the lake, what, what about the Lake District? Do you get people who, who maybe from outside the county or outside the country even saying, look, I want yeah, to come I, across and, and explore this particular area? Yeah. I, I, you know, obviously a lot of my clients are based around the Carlisle area. So for them, it's just, you know, a, a half an hour's 
car journey down there. Mm. So I don't tend to get too many local people booking through me to go to the lakes. But I do have um, other clients who who might want to come up, you know, from the south of the country or from from overseas. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to to be honest, that isn't the, the, the core part of my business. This is the Cumbria Business Podcast. Essential listening, even if you're a text-to-speech computer program, like me. Right, well, that was all the nice stuff over with. Let's talk about last year now. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. presuming that you, you have a, a network of contacts all around the world in the travel industry. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, when did yeah. you first start to hear reports of, a, of an unusual respiratory illness in China? <laughs> We we were picking up um, the messages, I think it was probably from early January, uh, where I didn't have anybody out there at, at the time, but obviously my travel counsellor colleagues across the country and also in our other global offices, um, you know, they, they had people out uh, doing tours of China, Japan, um, and uh, very quickly we were getting notices through from our head office which uh, indicated that we needed to put a stop sale on tours to Asia for the, you know, the upcoming four weeks, mm-hmm. as it were, as yeah, it yeah. was at the time, yeah. um, because we, we never thought that it would, it would last much longer than that. No. Um, so that was last January, and then February it was, kind of moving across into Italy because that's when we got wind of, you know, people going out skiing and then we turned back after being there for a day. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it all started kicking off really in February. So 12 months we've been at it now. Um, did you, I mean, it's difficult to, to, to look back on it, I suppose, but did you at the time realise just how bad the impact was going to be on the travel industry? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, the, the key priority uh, for me and for all of us in the industry, when when essentially we could see how fast it was moving through Europe, um, the key priority was to get everybody home. Um, I had people in Thailand, I had people in Australia, and uh, I had one client in Australia who's a business client. Um, she just wasn't she wasn't tuning into just how serious it was, mm. and I kept I was in contact every single day with all my clients who were overseas, saying right. I need to get you back home now. Um, And and fortunately, I was able to persuade her to leave her contract that she was working on to come back. Otherwise, I I, I don't know when I would have got her back. So that was that was the main thing for for all of us. That must have have been very difficult, though. I mean, I mean, if I was away on a holiday of a lifetime and you called up and said, I'm sorry, you've got to come back. My first reaction wouldn't be to say, yeah, okay, I'll pack my bags. How difficult was it to persuade people, you know, that this is this needs to be taken seriously and you do need to come back? Well, I think. I think a lot of them had actually gone away knowing that this was bubbling. Oh, really? Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the time, you know, it was safe enough for them to travel because there's no way we would have let them go ahead with their travel plans mm. had it already been that serious. Um, but but certainly for people going to Thailand and Australia, it hadn't it hadn't kind of reached those shores yeah. in in the severity that it had done in Europe at that point. I mean, I. I think that the the impact itself on on people who are wanting to travel has been quite well documented. I, I'm interested to know what the impact's been on you. Um, you know, as as somebody who who earns a living within the industry, but somebody who's obviously got a very um, close affiliation with with all the all your clients. Um, I mean, it must have been a very distressing time for you. 
Yeah, it was because obviously we had that initial period, which was which was, it, I suppose it was quite it was it was stressful. Mm. Um, and then we moved from that initial period of getting people home, to then going through oh, must have been two or three months of looking at our upcoming departures, and just having to cancel them and cancel them and cancel them, mm. and then rebook if they were happy to rebook. But every day was the same, and and bearing in mind that for many of us in this travel agency situation, um, we only get paid when those clients actually depart on holiday. Yeah. So for a lot of us, and for me as well, we had to pay that money back because obviously the, we, we had had the money in advance for upcoming departures, which were then cancelled. And, and, and so for me, it was an absolute positive if I could get those clients to rebook for 2021, which we did do, a lot of them were happy to rebook. Uh, some wanted refunds, and I worked really, really hard with my clients and with my suppliers to make sure that that, that my clients got what they wanted. Uh, there were there were some uh, some airlines that you know would not issue a refund, uh, but but obviously the 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 sheer volume was just unimaginable. Mm. We, you know, we we just did not know how long it was going to go on for, but every day was the same. And every day you knew you were doing all this work for no money whatsoever. Yeah, it was, it was soul-destroying, soul-destroying. I mean, you've, you've hinted at it there about the financial impact upon you and, and your business. I mean, how close did you come to the edge? Well, I, I, I consider myself really fortunate in that I work from home. I've got very little overheads. Um, and whilst... Whilst this is my business, um, I'm, I was lucky in that my husband is on a decent salary. So, so for me personally, whilst I wasn't earning the amount of money that I had expected to last year, and indeed it's carrying on at the moment as well, mm. um, you know, I did have money put aside for an eventuality like a, a lean period because when, when it's your own business, you're not getting a set salary every month. Yeah, sure. So, so you have to allow for those, those lean times. But my goodness, never, ever expected that it was going to be going on for such a long time. So, so sleepless nights and uh, wondering how it was going to all pan out. Yeah, um, and then of course we got the period in the middle of summer when um, I was going to mention corridors. that. Yeah, I mean the, the yeah. sort of the summer hiatus where you know, suddenly there was travel corridors, people were managing to get away. I mean, did you actually, in your heart of hearts, think that was going to really last very long? Well, I think I think we just took what we could. Mm. Um, I remember getting a, a last minute inquiry from a new client. Um, and he wanted to take his little boy to uh, somewhere to the sun just for four days. Mm. So I just booked him a Jet 2 holiday to Menorca. Um, and whilst he was there, the um, the travel corridor was shut on the Balearics. And he then had to quarantine when he came back. Good and that was the first overseas booking I had managed to get away. <laughs> you know, over that three or four month period. But then I think after that point, we then just got used to, you know, every Thursday, it was like Russian roulette day because that was the day when, yeah. when it was announced which countries were coming off and going on the travel corridor. And of course, the, the, the countries was, at the other end were, were struggling as well, uh, who were relying upon British tourists to go out there and suddenly they weren't yeah, coming absolutely. out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's just that, you know, the impact has just been massive everywhere. And there's, there's, it's not just the immediate people working in the industry, it's the supply chain as well. 
uh, and particularly those those um, the destinations that I mentioned earlier in the conversation, like the safari types, where really that is all about sustainable tourism um, and and giving the locals an income. Mm-hmm. You know, because of this this impact, you know they're just <laughs> well it doesn't bear thinking about you know, no. the poverty levels that those people will be in right now. And, and then came the inevitable, really, the, the closure of all the borders, all the flights cancelled, nothing in or out. Um, I mean, you must have just put your head in your hands and thought, oh, why, why do I bother? <laughs> yeah, I think, again, because um, I, I do business travel as well as selling holidays. Mm. So I was lucky in that, uh, my my uh, Australian client who I'd had to persuade to come home early last March, um, she was the first one to go back out again when when things kind of opened up and she was out on a long-term contract in Germany. Yeah. Um, but then um, it was touch and go because Germany's uh, virus levels were increasing quite drastically. So I was I was on t- in touch with my client again on a very regular basis, um, just just seeing if she if I needed to get her home. But at that time, you know, essential travel was still okay, as it is now for for certain sectors, certain industry sectors. Yeah, yeah, it's all uh, it's all very difficult, isn't it? I mean, we we sat yeah. and we watched Boris Johnson on Monday night. We were recording on mm-hmm. a Wednesday. Um, he was giving us this the roadmap out of the nightmare. Um, I mean, there seems to be hope on the horizon for staycations. I, I was looking at a report today, um, the company that that owns Cottages.com and Host Seasons. That's right, Aways. Yeah. yeah, and they've recorded one booking a second on Monday night. Um, and I think they've, they've recorded over 10,000 over the course of Monday night alone. Um, yes. I mean, yeah. b- but the Prime Minister was less than definitive about when we can actually hope to go abroad again. Or where? Yeah, and I, I think you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty about that. Um, I, I've been purposely encouraging uh, UK break staycations for the mm. past month now, um, just so that I could have some kind of revenue stream coming in when the doors open again. So that's now not going to be until the 12th of April at the earliest. So I've got another two months now of no income. Wow. I'll have everybody in the industry um and then with the hope that on the 12th of april there will be a further announcement that possibly some overseas travel will happen on the 17th of may Mm. um but but how and what that will look like we don't know at this point because they're still talking about you know is it going to be a global vaccine passport um uh, there is a high indication within the trade that those countries which had really strict um, COVID protocols in place prior to this current lockdown, uh, they will be the ones that will be coming back sooner rather than yeah. others, such as the Maldives, the Greek islands. Um, so we're, we're quite hopeful and <laughs> trying to stay optimistic that that will in fact happen. Yeah. Uh, from I mean, how, how important do you think these vaccine passports are going to be if they if they come in? I mean, they, they, they would appear to me to be the only kind of solution, really. Yeah, I think I think it's got to be it's got to be considered like the um, you know whenever you need any kind of vaccinations to go overseas, like your typhoid and your, your yellow fever, mm. you need records of that. Um, you know, particularly yellow fever. So I only see this as being a similar situation um, in that, you know, there, there will be some companies that will only accept people who've had the, the, the COVID vaccination. Yeah. But I, I, I think also the, um, the PCR testing 
uh, negative COVID tests. I think they're going to be here for quite some time yet. Yeah, I mean, there are two. There seem to be two viewpoints on on the future. One. Uh, one I spotted today in the paper from a, a chap called Professor Graham Medley of, of SAGE, the government scientific advisory group, um, who says he wouldn't consider a summer holiday abroad until at least 2023. Um, is, <laughs> is, is he just a gloomster, as, as, as Boris uh, well, might say? <laughs> Um, it's a good job we don't, you know, in our sector, we don't listen much to people like him because I think, you know, we might as well all pack our bags now, really, and, and or, or at least lock the front door. It does seem a bit extreme. Uh, I mean, I, mean, I have to yeah. say, though, on the other hand, um, apparently, again, within minutes of the PM speech on mm. Monday, EasyJet were reporting a 630% increase in bookings. Jet 2 were up 600%. TUI were up 500%. So I think the great British public have more faith oh, than, uh, than Mr. Professor, <laughs> Professor Medley. There, there is. There is a complete demand, you know, there, well, there is a pent-up demand, but I think there's caution with that as mm, well. Yeah. I mean, personally, I've had, um, you know, we were all waiting for the announcement on Monday from Boris to see see how we were going to be coming out of this and when. Uh, and I had an inquiry for a staycation. Uh, and, and after the announcement, I was convinced she was going to book. But yesterday morning, she messaged to say, actually, given the announcement, we've decided no, we're not. Mm. So I, I think there's still quite a significant amount of caution out there as well. Yeah, and, and I see also as well that prices are being slashed. Um, I mean, where where are going to be the sort of places to go? Do you think um, you know, assuming that we can get away, uh, where where are going to be the, the the destinations of choice? Well, prices are being slashed at the moment, but mm. when we do definitely get the green light, they'll they'll shoot right up again. Right. But then they'll settle after a period. Um, but but you know, as I've mentioned, the Greek islands I think is going to be one of the safer places to get to mm-hmm. um, this summer, and and certainly you know from from midsummer onwards there will be more and more countries open up as the vaccination program rolls out. You know, more successfully worldwide. Is it worth, do you think, um, taking a punt and just saying, right, okay, it's it's going to cost me, me very little money to to book a holiday. I might as well do it um, if the prices are so low. Yeah, I mean, I I would I would actively encourage people to book a holiday now. Not only because I'm in the industry and I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to save my business, but but because. You know how good you feel when you when you book a holiday and you've got something to look forward to. You've got that. It's almost like a, an adrenaline rush, isn't it? Yeah. You get that sense of well-being and, and oh great, I've got something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what people need so much right now as well. Um, so so yes, I would I would say book a holiday, but book knowing that you know things could change. Book with somebody who you know can give you advice. Uh, and 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 book with somebody where you, where your money is financially protected, mm-hmm. which which if people book online, they're not necessarily going to get that advice because the, there are so many changing entry requirements right now to to get into a destination. Um, you know that's what I give the advice to my clients all the time. Yeah. Uh, which which if somebody's just going to press book on a on an online website, they're not going to get that advice. No. No. Uh, well, listen, Jane, the advice you've given us tonight has been absolutely fantastic and uh, your optimism has been as well. I, I know it's been a hell of a year for you um, and there's me just whinging on that I can't go away on holiday this year or next year or whatever it might be. Um, but if I do, I'll certainly be booking with you.
My thanks to the wonderful and ever-resilient Jane Sedgwick for taking the time to join me on the Cumbria Business Podcast. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next time with more business chat. Meanwhile, you can catch up with all our previous episodes by searching out the show on your favourite podcast app. And while you're there, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode? Oh yeah, and give us a five-star review. It helps other people find the show. And did I mention we're also on Twitter, at CumbriaBizPod? Right then, if you've got all that then I'll leave you to make your holiday plans in peace. The Cumbria Business Podcast is a Paperfoot production. I've been Nick Brownlee. See you next time. Paperfoot.